Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. God, we thank you uh, this morning for our friends who are here. I pray for those who are, um, are here to, to learn more about the church. I pray that uh, they would hear our heart and mission and um, that you would bless them in their time. I pray for Kim and for Steve as they start this uh, sabbatical away. Um, we will miss them, uh, but we know that you will hold them in the palm of your hands. And I pray for rest and restoration for them. I pray that um, they would grow, grow closer together and to you and um, we can't wait to get him back. Lord, I pray also for our time today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead what is said, that um, these words would be honoring to you and they would be what you would have us to hear. Humble us, Lord. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a sermon series called The Beauty of the Church. And, and the reason that we're um, endeavoring to have this series is because we want to remind ourselves that the church is not an outdated institution. It is a divinely inspired institution, and it is as relevant as ever. So as we enter this world that seems like it's post-Christian, people will challenge the church and, and wonder if it's relevant. And our point in this series is to say yes more than ever. And, and here's what we want to reiterate to all of us and to remind ourselves is that we need each other. We need to be together to, um, on our agreement of Christ. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to be on shared mission together. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but it will help us to know him and to uh, enjoy him and to make him known in the world. And so the church is so very important. So we're taking several weeks to study it. Now, we've previously talked about what it means to belong to welcome, to gather, and today we're going to talk about this idea of, of care, uh, of caring for one another. And so our title today is The Culture of Caring. What is it like to have a culture at a church that cares for one another, and what exactly does all that mean? Our passage today, our, our scripture today, will come from Galatians 6, verse 1 through verse 10. Now, before I, I go there and read that passage, I want to talk just a little bit about culture. What is culture and why is it so important? You know, you, you go around today and people are always talking about culture. They're talking about American culture, Texas culture, the culture of your city. Um, certainly businesses talk about it. And if you're in the business world, you know um, companies spend billions and billions of dollars a year on consultants to come in and to fix or to help or to extend culture. And so what is it and why are we talking about it? Well, the first thing is culture is how you behave in an organization. Now, that kind of sounds businessy, but an organization can be everything from your family to your church to where you work or, or even your country. And it's these shared beliefs and values. And they become communicated. They become reinforced. They shape your perceptions, your understandings, and then they shape your behaviors. So it's kind of this big circle, right? And what you accept becomes your culture. 
I like what one consulting company said. They boiled all that down. That's still a little confusing. They boiled it down to this. It's how we do things around here. It's how we do things around here. So when you come to our family, there's a family culture. It's how we do things around there. Your family has a culture, and everywhere you go, that is, that is certainly true. Now, there's another consultant that has this famous statement. You may have heard it. It's actually probably overused. Um, and, and he says that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And what he really means by that is that the way that you do things is more important than the things that you want to do. It's more important than all your good intentions. The way that it actually happens will, will supplant all of the best intentions. And this is also true of churches, local and global. But locally, um, in a church, the culture should be based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and on him alone. And so if you are a part of a church or you're exploring places and you go and it is not based on the man Jesus and on his gospel, I would encourage you to get up and run to the exit. Run, do not walk, because um, it is going to be a place that, that has toxic nature and toxic behavior. You see, a church must have a culture that is solely on Jesus. And so that is why our mission here at the Door Church is to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory. Do you see it? It's the linchpin in all that we do. Our DNA is to be gospel-centered. It starts with the gospel. It's, it's then to be community-driven and other people-focused. And then our desired culture, we do have a desired culture at the Door Church, and that is that we want to take the gospel, safety, and time to, to share an experience of grace. So the gospel, safety, and time. And that basically means we take the truth of Jesus and we give people the place and the time to understand him and come to terms with him and what he is saying to us and how he changes our life. And this sets the context for everything that we do. And why is it important? It's important because it is the only way to have a culture of caring amongst ourselves. Now, um, we're going to read Galatians 6 here in a minute. Before I do that, I want to set a little bit of context about what's happening in, in Galatians. So um, when we read this passage, you'll not hear the word culture, but I would, I would say that you're going to see it interwoven throughout the passage. He's really talking about culture. Now, you know that the way uh, Paul worked, Paul was a church planner. So he would go to a region and he would plan a church and he would stay there longer than a few weeks, shorter than a decade or a few years, and he would leave. And, and when he would leave, he would go to the next place and do the exact same thing. But he was constantly sending and receiving word back from those churches that he got. And those became the epistles. Those are the epistles that we have. That is the book of Galatians. And what has happened is that Paul established this church and he left. And now he's getting this report back. And it's almost like when you were a kid and your parents left. And then, you know, you just all chaos broke loose, Right. Um, that's what's happening here. And so Paul establishes this church, and what has happened is the people who were previously Jews had risen up, and they had started to teach those who were not Jews that they needed to also obey the law, okay? And you can imagine how much friction and consternation this charge created in just the absolute conflict that was happening here. You see, they had lost their way, and they had developed a non 
gospel culture. And so he sets forth to fix it. And this, this um, epistle starts off um, with a bang. I mean, it basically starts off with a punch in the nose. He says, I am astonished that you are so soon removed from the gospel, which is no gospel at all, and that it, you've become perverted and essentially that you're bringing in the works of the law. And so he reminds them, he takes chapters one through five, and he reminds them that we are justified by faith, not the law, that there's freedom in Christ. And then he introduces the idea of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says, that's not the way to live. The way to live is the the Holy Spirit. You have to let the Holy Spirit come into you and to produce fruit. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and this is how to live. So this is the the backdrop for the passage that we're about to read. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. This is the Word of God. And so you can see there... The word culture uh, and caring is not mentioned, but I hope that you see throughout all of that that it's interwoven, that he does discuss it and he talks about it. And I would propose that he really gives us an outline for a church to have a culture of caring. And there's three things that I really want to look at. Number one, a culture of caring in a church have people that are spirit-led. Number two, they are gentle And number three, they are invested in each other. Spirit-led, gentle, and invested. Now, I cheated just a little bit on this passage. Um, Really, this uh, chapter 6 is an extension of an idea that is planted in chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. It's the last two verses of chapter 5, and it really is the introduction to chapter 6. In fact, some people think that Maybe it should have been grouped with chapter 6. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But, but it's there, and it actually provides a really good basis for this discussion about being Spirit-led. Uh, chapter 5, verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Again, he's referencing the fruit of the Spirit earlier in that chapter. And he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do you see what he's doing there? He's making a contrast, and he's really talking about how we should deal with each other, how we relate with one another. He says there's two ways to do it. There's, the first way is to be spirit-led, to be filled 
by the Holy Spirit, to have the fruit that he puts in you. And that's how you treat one another is that. But then there's the second way, and it is the way of the flesh. There's the way of the flesh. And in, in here, he specifically calls it being conceited. So there's, um, as we see each other and as we deal with each other, we can operate from the spirit or we can operate from conceit. Now, um, conceit here used to be translated, if, you, if uh, maybe you or your, old, your grandparents had an old Bible, an old King James Version, it was called vain glory. Vain glory. Don't have vain glory. And um, I love that phrase because it actually is what it is. It's empty of honor. It's insecure. It means that you're trying to prove yourself and you're always trying to compare to each other. So when I think of uh, vainglory, I have so many examples about myself. Um, One of them was my time at CrossFit. And I know what you're all thinking. Clearly, this man does CrossFit. Um, I was horrible at CrossFit. Uh, My wife, every night when I would walk in, she'd say, how was it? And I'd say, "It it was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever done. And she said, well, that's what you said yesterday. And I said, well, I was telling the truth yesterday, and I'm telling the truth today. And so every single day, it was awful. Um, I'm a proud two-time quitter of CrossFit. (laughs) But I was so bad, and I'm not exaggerating, I was always the last in class. And so what would happen is all the kids, all the people would, you know, go around me, and they would clap for me. And it was incredibly embarrassing, but I couldn't breathe. And so I was like, leave me alone, get get away from me. I hated it. And so what I started doing um, was I started picking the people who always finished first. And, and then I would, I would warm up. And one of the warm-ups was a, a quarter of a mile jog, and it's a light jog. So I would jog along beside them, and then with 20 yards left, I would sprint. And then I would turn around and taunt them. And I would say, you see, I won something. And it was always funny because they were like, Darren, we weren't, I didn't know we were racing. I'm like, that's why you've always got to stay on your toes. That is the example of vainglory that we're talking about. Can you imagine? Hey, how many championships have, uh, have uh, football teams won in the preseason? Zero, right? It's just all this vainglory and it's this, this stuff. And I think I'm, I'm concerned because I think sometimes we, we carry that over into the church and we carry that over with each other in our, in our relationships with each other. That's how we treat one another. We're racing people that they don't even know they're in a race about. You see, without the gospel, you will become conceited. It will happen. Now, there's two sides to the coin of conceit. So if, if conceit is one coin, there's two sides to it. There's a heads and a tails. And the first one is this, is provoking. He says that there, provoking one another. Now, on this side of the coin of conceit, you are sure of your superiority. You're looking down on people. You're better. You are, you are rising up by pushing others down, right? That's what it means to provoke. That's conceit. That's one way to treat somebody. Another way of conceit is envying that person. You are sure of your inferiority. You're looking up. Your pride tells us that you're inferior, but that you deserve what those other people have. And so what you're actually doing is trying to pull yourself up from other people and to be even with them, right? Now, what's important to note is that both of them are equally as wicked, Both are a form of works-based religion, and they are conceit. You see, they are self 
absorbed. You're focusing on who you are in relationship to somebody else and not your identity in Christ. You see, what it is, it's a wrong view of God. When we are that way with each other, we're, we're not only having a problem with that person, our problem is with God. So take, take this, for example. If you know somebody who's wealthy or beautiful or a great athlete or whatever, and you're jealous of them, you see God has blessed them and however God has blessed them, and your problem is with God. Your problem is not with that person. And so you're questioning him, but there's provoking and there's envying and there's this self-based uh, works and, and righteousness. And apart from the gospel, we will default to one of these two patterns. And so we have to be spirit-led. We have to be gospel-based and our image has to be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. Jesus Christ lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died as your substitute in your place so that God can receive you, not for your record or your works, but for Jesus Christ's record and his works. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how you should look at yourself and how you should look at each other. Do you see that there? That is a great leveling message. So um, there are, as Paul would say, there's neither Greek nor Jews. There's neither um, slave nor free, men or women. There's not the haves or the have-nots. There's not different races. There's not all those things within the household of Christ. We are all the same. We are all one. We are sinners redeemed by grace and grace alone. And so therefore, there's no room for provoking one another or envying one another. There's only Jesus. There's only room for Jesus. Romans 8 verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. God's design for a culture of caring within the church is to eliminate conceit in our hearts and to make us spirit-led. Now, the second thing, that's step one. The, the second step from this is natural, and that is that we are to be gentle with one another. We are to be careful and to be gentle with one another. In chapter six of Galatians, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. There's an idea here that we have a responsibility between each other. When, when you come to a church and you become an, um, a member, you are responsible to me and I am responsible to you. And we're taught that we will have to restore brothers and sisters. And what this basically means is that we are all sinful. So we're redeemed and we're forgiven, but on our walk and on our journey, we are still going to sin against God and we're going to sin against each other. And so there's going to be friction with those who are around us. And what he's saying here is you who are spiritual, restore them. Now, before we start to think that this is a self-appointed um, fruit of the spirit inspector who's going around looking at people's lives, what he literally means here when he says you who are spiritual, he's saying those who are led by the spirit. You see, that's why it's so important to start with the foundation of being spirit-led. 
nor is he talking about some elite Christian. These are not the Navy SEALs of Christians, right? These are, these are Christians who love their brothers and sisters but are led by the Spirit. And he's telling us here, don't ignore problems in each other's lives. He says to restore each other. And when he uses the term restore, what he's really using um, here is an expression of, of um, resetting a dislocated bone. Resetting a dislocated bone. I don't know if you've ever seen um, somebody dislocate a bone. Um, I, I did one time. I was playing high school football, and um, I was playing tailback. Again, I know what you're all thinking. Clearly, this man is a tailback, right? Um, I have to admit, it was junior varsity, so there's my vainglory, right? Um, and we were terrible, um, which is a theme in all my athletic um, endeavors. But um, it was one of those plays where every single person, the linemen, the backs, everyone, we missed all of our blocks. And there was a guy named Kyle Means who was playing quarterback for the first time, and he just got pummeled. And he dislocated his arm. I'll never forget, he was sitting there screaming. Um, and we were all in a circle around him, and we all started going, my bad, I missed my block, we missed my block. It got to me, and I was like, I didn't even know I was supposed to be blocking. I'm really sorry. And he got up, and he couldn't, he couldn't carry his arm. I and mean, you've seen this on TV. You've seen this, right? And he's screaming. And this was the olden days where someone would just, like, pick him up and pop it, right? Now they don't do that anymore. I think they call a helicopter and take you to the hospital or something. But now they just pop it right back into place, right? And um, I, I think he might have actually gone in the game. I can't remember. Um, he was definitely concussed. And so the idea there is that the pain is excruciating, and that popping is excruciating, but almost immediately it's relieved. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be sore and there's not healing to take place, but it's automatically um, popped back into place. And that is how we are to treat one another. We are to lovingly and gently go to those who are caught in sins and in patterns of sin and help them be restored. James 5 verse 19 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It is that important. That is why we stress becoming a member. That's why we stress joining a discipleship group because you need me and I need you. There are going to be times in our lives where we have blind spots. There might even be prevailing sins and you need people who will come alongside you. It's so important. The church is so relevant in our lives. Paul tells us we're supposed to have the spirit of gentleness and self-awareness. So, um, you know, if I were to pop my friend's shoulder back in place, it's not like I'm some doctor or I know what I'm doing. Now, I'm not some great guy that I just avoided that injury. I just didn't get hit, right? And so that's the same thing for us when we restore somebody with gentleness. There's this idea of self-forgetfulness. It's the opposite of superiority. Again, remember, it's not provoking, it's not conceit, but it's with love and the spirit led. And I'm afraid that over time, maybe the church has gotten a bad reputation because of this, because when people go to restore others, um, they're coming at it from a high position themselves, and they're actually thinking about themselves instead of the person that needs to be restored. And so if you ever go to somebody to restore them, and you're thinking more about yourself than that person, I would throw a flag on the field 
and maybe pray about it before you went to talk to him, right? But the idea here is that we're gentle and we're self-aware. And he says, if you think you're something, you deceive yourself. Keep watch on yourself because you're capable of the same exact sin. Do you know that you're one bad decision away from ruining your life? You're one bad decision. Take this, for example. You can be um, someone who's sober your entire life, and you can decide one night that you're going to try drugs, and so you go to buy them. And I personally couldn't tell you where to get them, um, but you know, if you found them, you could get part of a federal drug sting ruin your life if you're not careful. You could never drink and drive. You could be somebody that doesn't even drink, and you could have one too many glasses of wine, and you could decide to drive home and have an accident and be charged with that one time, and it will ruin your life. And those are just little examples, but the truth is that can happen to any of us in any setting, any, um, any issue of immorality. That could be us I love the expression, but for the grace of God go I. Who do I think I am? Do I think that I'm somebody that's figured out this? Or or am I somebody who God has literally put in the palm of his hand and protected throughout his life? That's who I am. There's nothing good about me. And so when I go to talk to somebody or to restore them, um, there's no no sense of, of conceit. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and then I'm going to move on. He says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Man, that guy could preach. I mean, like, like if you want to make me mad, then challenge my integrity. And then when I, when I go home at night and I think about it, I'm like, ah, eh, I was actually way worse than what they even said. Paul tells us to carry each other's burdens. This is a lofty concept, but it's love that is coming down to earth. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's loving your neighbor as yourself like Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about that. If you're going to do that, you have to know people. You have to be involved. You have to come to church and be a part of church and be in a discipleship group and be in all these other things and volunteer and get to know each other. My, my fear is that there are so many people who aren't, and they're hurting, and they need help, and no one knows about it. But when you come and you belong, then all of a sudden there are people to carry your burdens. Now, when he talks here about burdens, he's contrasting it with what he says later on as a load. He says everyone's going to carry their own load, but you have to help each other carry burdens. A burden is a significant weight. It could be a flaw or a struggle and it's helping somebody lift that burden. It's not placing burdens on them. We should never rush into somebody who's having a burden and place something on them. And then this concept of load, the load is a backpack. It's something that you have to carry yourself. You see, he's not letting us get out of all of our responsibilities here. You still have responsibilities before God, but you should be careful to judge other people's loads because you don't know what's in their backpack. <clears throat> Today, I'm driving down Business 121, and I'm, um, I'm trying to make all those lights. There's a bunch of lights there in those industrial park that don't make sense, right? And um, I'm trying to be here on time because I get scolded if I'm not here for sound check. And so I'm driving, and I stop at this light, and I'm looking up, and there's nobody around. I'm like, what in the world is going on? 
And I look across, you know, like four lanes, and there's a woman who's setting the land speed record for slowness, okay? And she start, she's walking across the street, and she passes in front of my car, and she has a big old backpack on. This is on the way to church for me to preach about people not judging other people's backpacks. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Lord, I get it. She's probably going to work today. She's carrying her stuff. She's looking for a bus. It's hot and it's humid, and I'm here in my car. I'm going to be with the people I love. I'm drinking coffee and all those things. And, and the Lord spoke to me in that moment and reminded me, don't judge people. Don't judge people. You don't judge people. Everyone's got these loads that they're carrying around, and you don't know it. You see, this is how we fulfill the law of Christ. It's centered on a person and not a code. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, is yours in Christ Jesus, who though... He was um, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That, that is the gentleness of Jesus Christ who came in like a pauper instead of a king and who gently restored us to God he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. To have a culture of caring, we have to be spirit-led and we have to be gentle with each other, always self-aware and Jesus-focused. Okay, so then the last thing I want to look at today is in order for us to have a good culture, one that cares for each other and one that builds each other up, we have to be invested with each other. Chapter six, of, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap co corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. The culture of caring is one where people invest in each other. Again, they know each other, they carry burdens, they help with loads if they can, uh, you carry your own load, and then you're invested in each other. Now, this is a long-term investment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went and met with our um, financial planner, um, who I love, godly man, um, unbelievably wise man, and as we sat down to talk about the hundreds and hundreds of dollars I have invested, he gives me what I call the talk, right? And the talk is this, hey, take a deep breath, the stock market is not doing so hot right now. And, and um, you can imagine that he has this talk probably 10 times a day with people, and, and basically, um, the, the takeaway is don't freak out. Don't freak out. Look at the last 100 years. And um, it's funny because I'm like, well, I haven't opened my account in months, so um, you're okay with me. Um, but the point is, he said this, and I love it. He said, you don't need this money today. 
you need this money in 20 years. And I love that. We're not day trading here. If you're a day trader, you care about that stuff. And that translates to us and our relationships with each other. We are not day trading with each other. So one low isn't going to change the relationships that we have. We're long-term invested. And then he's teaching us here to not be individuals. He says, you all have to submit to teachers. And I'll ask you that. Do you submit to people and listen to them and to their teachings? Receive instructions. And he tells us to give generously. He's actually saying there to support the teacher. And, and the point isn't to stuff the joy box with money so that it's overflowing. That's not the point. The point is that we are not consumers. We are not coming just because we like the lights and we like the songs. And um, most of the time when I'm not up here, the preaching's pretty good, right? That's, that's not why we're here. If that's the mentality, it's all wrong. This isn't a payment, but it's about fellowship and sharing gifts. You see, he's teaching us here the law of return. And the law of return is this, don't be deceived. So don't be fooled into thinking that this isn't going to happen. You will reap what you sow. This is an absolute principle. He's going back to one of the most ancient and foundational principles in the world. It goes back to Eden, right? When they started planting. And, And the point is this, what you sow, the seed that you sow will produce that same fruit. You know that. You don't put tomatoes in the ground and get potatoes, And you don't put potatoes there and get tomatoes later on. You get the seed that you planted. And then the second part of that is that the harvest will come. The harvest will come. There will be a result. There are consequences from the way that we act with each other. And so he says, if you sow to the flesh, you break relationships. That's not how God wants it to be. But if you sow to the Spirit your relationships will be fulfilled. We will have a culture of caring, and that will continue beyond death. Now, um, hear me, that's not health and wellness. That's not when I do this, then God blesses me in those ways. What it means is when I do this, God will bless me with Jesus, and I will have eternal treasure, and that is a promise. And then we begin to obey God out of the joy of knowing our status. And he says, don't grow weary. Growth takes time and you will see your fruits. It's just like to those of you who have kids, it takes time. Um, When you're you're shaping a child, it's not a one-day event. You can't correct them or lead them or guide them. No, you're more like a stream and you're the water on a pebble. and, And just every day you smooth that pebble down every single day and you're forming that person. That's how we are with each other. It takes time and energy and effort and and sometimes pressure, but love. And he says here that that should cause us to do good to people, especially family of believers. Do good to the person right in front of you. Give to their needs. And so it's great that we evangelize. It's great that we disciple. Those are direct commands. But also, you know another direct command? Do good. Help people. This is directed to everyone but supremely to the family of believers. We need to know each other. We need to know what we need, and we need to come along and do good to each other. And then the last uh, verse I want to read today is uh, from James 3, and this is the harvest of righteousness. I love this passage in James 3, 16. This is um, the exact same outline of Paul in Galatians. I want you to notice this. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder in every vile practice. Again, conceit. Don't be conceited, right? Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And lastly, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in the short run, this will demand sacrifices in our lives. It is hard. It's hard to be a part of a discipleship group. It's hard to come to church. It's hard. You make sacrifices, but in the long run, there's a deep and direct satisfaction. And if we are going to have a culture of caring, we must be invested in the long haul with each other. So in conclusion, I just want to ask you this question. How do we do things around here? How do you do things around here? What is the culture that we're cultivating? You see, I would challenge us all to see ourselves in these verses. I think a lot of times when we read you who are spiritual, we think, oh, that's clearly me, right? I'm the spiritual one, you know, to restore others. What I want to challenge us with today is to reverse that and see yourself as the one who needs to be restored because the truth is we do every single one of us. And we have to see ourselves in these verses. And can't you see how Jesus cultivated a culture of caring? He came and he lived a perfect life to show us the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he was doing, showing us the nature of God. Secondly, he gently led us. He led us gently. He came to us with gentleness. He bore our burdens, the burden that we could not carry ourselves, the heavy weight of the cross. And then um, he invested in you, not in the short term, but in the long term for eternity. And that is how we should do things around here. That's how we should be known. And that is how we hold forth the truth of Jesus Christ to the community. Let me pray for us. God, you are um, amazing and awesome. And today we come to you and we just confess how much we need you. Um, as we, as we um, consider these verses... Uh, we know that every single one of us have issues in our lives. We know that when we come to people, um, we're not always led by the Spirit. We're led so many times by conceit, and we push people down, and we envy people, and um, Lord, we repent from that wickedness. We pray that you would expose it and help us to see it. Lord, would your Spirit lead us, come to us, and lead us, and give us your fruit. Help us to be gentle with one another, Father. We pray that this would be a place of restoration and healing where people um, are hurt and they, they see uh, that we love them and they know that there is healing here. We pray that you would help us to open our, our eyes and to see that and to feel what you would have us to feel. Melt our, our heart of, of stone and give us your heart, Lord. Help us to carry each other's burdens, to be in each other's lives and to be about other people's business and to help them, Lord. Lord, we need you, um, and we need your spirit. And we pray that you would come, that you would change us, and that our lives would be an honor to you. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray.